0: Backstage Pass is made possible by Mauer Productions On Stage, supporting community theater in central New Jersey.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to Backstage Pass, central New Jersey's community theater podcast. I'm John Mauer and I'll be moderating this session where we'll be talking about Thornton Wilder's The Skin of Our Teeth, being presented by Shakespeare 70 in association with the College of New Jersey and the International Thornton Wilder Society. Written in 1942, Wilder's second Pulitzer Prize-winning play tells the 5,000-year-long story of the Antrobus family as they battle crushing glaciers, the Great Flood, and even each other. It is the history of mankind condensed and compacted into a play that is funny, moving, and dark all at the same time. It was a sensation when it premiered and included Tallulah Bankhead, Frederick March, and a young Montgomery Cliff among its original cast members. Now Shakespeare 70s production promises to be unique, featuring giant puppets, fantastical sets, multimedia, and a large supporting cast. It is the featured production of the first international Thornton Wilder Conference, Wilder in the 21st Century. It is also the first straight non-musical play to be produced at the Kendall Main Stage since 1996. With me to talk about the skin of our teeth is producer Janet Corderone, director, Brian Barra, puppet master Walter Cupid, designer and tech director Dale Simon, and actor Damien Gaeta, who plays Henry in the show. Hello, thank you all for coming.
2: Thanks for having us. Nice. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Now, every show begins with that one point let's do it. Who thought of doing this show? What was the reason <laughs> for putting it together?
3: Well, um, almost three years ago, um, one of our English professors, Lincoln Conkle, who is a, a member of the Thornton-Wilder Society Um, and I entered into discussions about what we could do to celebrate Thornton-Wilder's legacy. And of course we mentioned Skin of Our Teeth and his eyes went really wide and he was very excited Mm -hmm. because it's actually one of his favorite plays. And Link, being uh, a Thornton-Wilder aficionado, felt that the play um, is often given short shrift uh, because it should really be done on a large canvas. He saw it as a spectacle and he would like to offer that. So over the next two, two and a half years, we've been arranging uh, funding and arrangements and discussions to have it put on the main stage as part of the conference, which goes on in October here. Uh, the conference actually is a biannual event. Uh, Shakespeare 70, of course, has been here for almost 15 years uh, in residence doing classical plays. Uh, as we wish.
0: Yeah, this is actually a little unusual. Shakespeare seventy doesn't usually decide on a play so far in advance, uh, except we are trying always to further cement this relationship with the college. You know, being of service to them, uh, you know, highlighting something that's important in their curriculum. So we already had this relationship with Link, uh, and so when they started talking about the conference on the campus, we saw that this was a great opportunity.
1: Now, with Shakespeare seventy, this is sort of residence for them.
0: You know, it's not an official uh, sort of in-residence yet, though there's a lot of talk about that at present, but uh, certainly, you know, sort of an unofficial ad hoc in, in theater in-residence, yeah, because we've been here for, as Dale says, about 14 years. Uh, our fall and winter shows are here and are almost always chosen uh, with a desire to illuminate some, uh, something in the English curriculum, some play that the students are going to be studying and have to write papers on and so forth.
1: Now, what is the the International Thornton Wilder Society?
0: Oh, it's
3: a group of like-minded uh, writers, theater artists, people who simply like Thornton Wilder, uh, to promote both his, his memory and his work, to help promote new works on stage, new um, interpretations of his writings,
0: I think to support educators too, you know, because some of the sessions are about, you know, how does one teach Thornton Wilder? How does one direct it? Uh, so I think there's a, a, a strong slant toward educators. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Now you're putting this together as part of the conference. You've been working on it or trying to gain momentum to get this done for two years now. Uh-huh. So when does Brian come into this as uh, the director?
4: When did I get the call?
0: Uh, when did you get the call? It, it was it in the summer. No, it was earlier than early that. It month. was the spring of. Uh, of this year. We, the board of Shakespeare 70, the protocol is that, you know, we get together and say, what play or plays would we like to consider doing next? And who's at the top of our directing list right now? Who would we would like to invite to direct? And then we call that person and say, hi, would you like to direct this play? And if they say yes, we're, we're done. <laughs> you know, and if they say no, thank you, then we go to plan B,
2: you know, but... Unfortunately, uh, the first five or
0: six said no. So we, yeah. yeah.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so we did approach well, Bride. It's right interesting away.
4: because I knew they were going to do it, and uh, I, I missed an opportunity to be in a production of it 25 years ago. Uh, I was supposed to play Mr. Antipas, and then I decided, like a fool, to move to California and didn't do the show. Uh, so I was looking forward to the opportunity to, to uh, make up for that and be in the show. But then when they called and asked me to direct, I said... Okay.
1: <laughs> hey, so now you've got the call to direct. Once you said yes, as director, what was your next step? How did you plan how you intended to produce? Well, of
4: course, I read it about a dozen times um, and just kind of then put it aside and let, let it sink in. I was working on it, as you know, working on a show this summer. And uh, once that was done, I really started thinking about it, uh, thinking about what it meant, what the show was about, about the timelessness of it. And. Not so recently, but fairly recently, I had discovered the steampunk movement and was finding more and more things that I loved about it, Uh, so uh, the the thought came to me that uh, a a timeless play deserves a timeless look, and that's how we decided to go with the steampunk. Okay, now can you give give our listeners an idea what steampunk is? Steampunk started as uh, a fictional movement in the late 80s, although the ideas date back to Jules Verne, Sure. In fact, they, they even call it Vernian. Uh, and it's uh, it posits a world where steam runs the world instead of electricity. Steam-powered engines and steam-powered computers and steam-powered Bluetooth devices. <laughs> so it
0: kind of grew from most, uh, just a literary movement to, to a graphic arts movement. Graphic
4: arts and sculpture and costume and lifestyle. I and mean, some, some of the, the steampunk people... Uh, Go out and have huge events in full costume with all this gear that they spend. But to them, it's not costume. To them, it's it's what they wear. Right. It's, it's well, their it's, lifestyle. It's it's
5: like it's like the goth movement or the cyberpunk movement. And their thought is that this is how we are. This is what we believe in. We'd rather run on steam than coal and nuclear. but, and but the
4: thing is, is that they don't actually run on steam. No, they, they do use electricity. <laughs> obviously, um, it's it's a stylistic choice more than. I wouldn't ascribe cult-like qualities to it, certainly. It's a way to have fun. It's like people who dress up for Renaissance fairs. I
1: mean, if you were to right now go out and, and look up steampunk on the internet, oh. you will find costumes. You will Loads find working Those computers that look like they came right out of Jules Verne's novels. Right, right. Yeah, so there's, there's, there's tons on, of stuff. A very and, artistic and Incredible
5: work. Some of these guys who put these, these monitors together, they've taken everything away from the monitor, and all you have is a screen, and then the screen is etched, in copper and brass and leather and wood and amazing pieces, really beautiful, beautiful artistic pieces.
0: And about uh, June, I had come on as producer, so you know Brian and I were doing a lot of talking at that point, and he said, you know, I, I think I like this design element. What do you think? And for me, it made perfect sense because you know Wilder really was when he wrote the play trying to shake up the theatrical landscape and do things that. we would find surprising. You know, he did things like have his characters acknowledge the fact that they were in a play and break the fourth wall and talk to the audience and he played with time and space and it was a way to make people stop and not make any assumptions and really attend, you know. But nowadays a lot of those things have become somewhat conventional so to me, to try something so different with the look would sort of put back into it what Wilder originally wanted. You know, that that sort of message to stop and, and pay attention.
1: To be different, to be unique, yeah. to stand out. Yeah. Now, you've, you're have on as director, you've come up with a concept and a direction to go in. Uh, the next step, I would assume, would be to start gathering people to actually be in this show. The next
4: step was casting.
1: Uh, How did you go about the casting process? We
4: had an open audition call. Uh, we saw lots of really great people. Had a lot of parts, however, unfortunately, not enough to go around for everybody that we saw which was interesting. We ended up actually even paring down the cast later. So, uh, yeah, we had an open call.
0: And yep. that's fairly new for Shakespeare 70. I think, you know, way back when it was more solidly, you know, a rep company. We, we don't, you know, we don't do auditions. That That's really changed in the last few years. I mean, certainly there are people that that are part of the company and, and return again and again, but I think we're looking to, to keep opening it up and inviting new people.
4: Well, and part of that was necessitated by the size of the cast mm-hmm. as well. Sure.
1: So, this is something that you're thinking about going forward with in Shakespeare Seventy. It's opening up to more people outside of the initial rep company that you worked with mm. on that. Because I know that Central New Jersey here has a wealth of actors yeah. and a wealth of companies that use those actors. And I know from our point of view, when we're producing shows and we're working, knowing that other groups are now uh, auditioning as well, we've had to go further afield to find people.
0: And you have to plan further in advance. You need to nail people down much further in advance. Sometimes I think.
1: And market yourself further out. Yes. So try to find people who normally wouldn't come to this area who, oh, I like that show, I've always wanted to do it. Maybe I'll come and audition specifically for that. Absolutely. Travel that extra couple of minutes or half hour or whatever to get here.
2: Brian hooked me in pretty early with this show. It was like, it was like March or something like yeah. that. He said, uh, uh, what are you doing next October? You know, keep your schedule open for October. I, got, I, got, I want you to come read for a part. So, uh, and then we, we were working on a show during the summer. Once we were done with that, he said, "All right, well, this is the show we're going to do," and he explained it to me. And He said, "I want you to come read for this part. I think you can. I think you'd be good for this." So and I came down to read it. I liked. I liked what I heard. Working together. So Thornton Wilder
1: was pretty good. You figured that he was good enough that you could do. It. It's good enough for me. Yeah, yeah. I can handle that.
2: I had actually. I, I had. I had heard the name before, but I didn't know of any of his works except for Our Town, and I saw that a couple years ago. And this is completely different from that. I mean, it's similar writing. You can tell, but just we're doing the steampunk. Theme and I'm, I'm loving it. I love the, the idea of what, all the steam engines and the, the cogwheels and it's like clockwork, you know, but just it's really incredible stuff. Doing a lot of good things with the set and props. Well, leaning nice. into that direction. You've got a cast, a director.
1: Now the whole design process that goes behind that that then takes that concept and brings it forward, which is set and costumes, lighting, and in this case, puppetry as well. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we can talk a minute for about the set. So Dale, you you did the design on the set.
3: Uh, yes. Um, through through multiple <laughs> <mental> <laughs> images and, and education in steampunk, uh, I sort of distilled that down to some uh, elements. Or the major element of the set is is gears. Those large sort of steam gears that one sees on railroads and large steam engines. A lot of the the set, or at least part of Mr. Entropus's house. We sort of decided Mr. Entropus was an inventor. He invents the wheel, he invents the alphabet, so why not have all sorts of other mechanisms around? Um, and uh, I think it looks pretty cool, actually. It's very cool. Um, and just lights wonderfully, and uh, yeah, it's a very interesting effect. But not was biz- oddly enough not bizarre. It seems to go with all the strange things that happen in the yeah. play, <laughs> like dinosaurs and and mammoths showing up. Uh, now, uh, before we get on to the
1: dinosaurs and ma- mammoths, which we're going to get to in a second, uh, was there any challenge specific to this design that you had to take that you had to work on specifically for this show on that stage? Oh
3: well, lots of things. You know, I, it, it is on a vast canvas. There are lots of. There are lots of little details, lots of props, lots of mechanical devices that just need to be built and arranged. And and since we are in production week, we're still building and arranging those things. But uh, I knew pretty early on I had a visual concept that I think has worked worked very well. And, of course, our main stage, it's a full main stage with pipes and electrics. So it is made not manufacturing and painting the set, any easier, but putting it up and getting it to work um, is something that uh, happens kind of automatically on a main stage if it's got the right
1: accruing mold. Now, I saw a lot of set down there and I saw you working on the lighting. I didn't see a lot of people around building things. I saw you do a lot of running <laughs> around.
2: <laughs> yes, well. Uh, oh. Don't worry, Dale, I'm free tomorrow. Oh, yeah, will see there. I'll be all good. day tomorrow. There you go. I mean,
3: um, I'm employed here, I, I run the theater day-to-day operations. Uh, so I, I can afford to take an eight-hour day and work on a set, but many of the students around here, of course, have classes, especially on Monday. Um, um, so I haven't had the manpower that I really needed to get done done, but they'll be showing up this week and we'll get it done, I'm sure.
1: One of the features in this show is some large puppets. Now, part of that is in the story itself. It's actually in the script that there are these large dinosaur-like well, creatures.
4: No, not really. Um, they are, there is a dinosaur and a mammoth. Mm-hmm. And in the original production, they were played by single, single persons in costumes, which were not very realistic or interesting. Or so like a giant Barney and Snuffleupagus? Sort of like almost, a giant Barney. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and I really wanted to avoid that, especially with the harder edge we were giving the rest of the look of the show. And decided to go with puppets and from there then decided well if i'm doing puppets in act one why don't i add puppets through the rest of the show so we have some not only do we have some large two-person puppets uh, but we also have some shadow puppets and we have some interesting stick puppets uh, that are used throughout the entire production and uh, for that i went to my friend walt who had spent a year with a puppet company touring and Learning about puppets and said, help. And he did. <laughs>
1: now Walt, you told me earlier uh, that you actually spent the year with this one company. What was the name of that again? Das Puppenspiel.
4: Das okay. Puppenspiel. was uh, out in Mayville, Western New York. <laughs> Which led to all sorts of poop and pants jokes, but
5: we won't go. We won't go there.
4: <laughs> I think while we were out there we always called it puppet speak, like spiel.
0: Right.
5: Um, so it was puppet speak. I don't even know if that was truly what it was how it breaks down. Uh, in its language, but uh, you know, I guess I was always interested in puppets. I can remember making puppets when I was a kid in elementary school and in middle school. And so when I got a chance to do this puppet company, I jumped at it. And then when Brian said, hey, we're going to do puppets. Anyone out there can help me with puppets? I said, hey, Brian, I haven't done a show with you in a while. I've... Sure. <laughs> sure. I got all the time to help with puppets. And then uh, and then Dale called up. And Dale and I started talking. Um, we were doing some of the Actually, I think steampunk didn't come up until after after you guys started talking about puppets and what they Mm. were. And then we kind of all went away for a little bit, you know, a week or so. And we all came in with new ideas and new concepts. And uh, we had a little meeting, a breakfast meeting, and brought in pictures. And, you know, in this day and age, you you can say steampunk. and Just go right on Google and look up images and go, oh, okay, I see what you're talking about now. Uh, And a lot of that stuff was right in there. And so it was really neat to be able to then incorporate this stuff. And, you know, of course it all falls within a budget. You know? and, and one of the big things that Brian said was, I don't want it to look like Snufflepuffigans. So it couldn't be some big structure covered with,
0: you know. Paper mache. Paper or fur. mache,
5: fur, shag rug. It just, it couldn't look like that. And then when the steampunk thing came around, it was more about pipes and, uh, and steam and metal-looking pieces. And that's where we started to go with that. But, of course, you start looking at one, and then there, like Brian said, there's there's stick puppets, there's shadow puppets, and there's these large two-person puppets. And, and when you look at the, the final piece, these, these stick puppets, it was the next concept. Well, where do we want to go from here? Well, what else do we have in steampunk? Oh, we have steam-driven marionettes in a way, these metal and tin looks. So that was the next part of the puppets. I mean, the big puppets were the, were the, the mass, the mammoth, mammoth and, and the dinosaur. A dinosaur. And once we got those out, the other ones fell in much easier. We had talked about them, but I mean, and they're still working on them, mm-hmm. <laughs> from what I'm told, but it's getting there. Yeah. It definitely is.
1: So now you've got the world that this is all happening in. You've got the other creatures. You've got the set and all that. Now it comes down to the actors having to deal with that.
2: So, Damien, what is it like to be on that stage? It's... Well, it's uh, I've never been in this theater before, so this is, a, this is pretty big for me. Just that in general, being in this theater, but working with like the steampunk and the puppets, I've never had a giant elephant sit next to me, you know, like in my living room. So it's <laughs> you know it's it's pretty cool though. But uh, uh, the props are amazing though to see them. Uh, Brian handed me one prop that I'll be using in Act Three, and I was just blown away. I was like, the detail that went into it. And it's a shame because we're scared that maybe the detail won't be able to be seen by the audience from way back. But just just the fact that I get to hold it and I know I went into it, it makes it easier for me to do my job as an you. actor. It does. It yeah. really does. It gives you this extra. I don't know. It gives you a third eye. You're able to get deeper into character. It's just. It's. It's a very helpful tool.
0: And you know, I have to say, as another actor in the show, I, you know, this everybody says, "Oh, the skin of our teeth." It's such a weird play, but the moment. We got into rehearsal. For me, it was completely grounded. It was it was very human. You know, it's set against this huge backdrop. But it's but it's the story of this family. Right. It, you know, they're the family of man, but it's the story of this family. So for me, it's very accessible. And so I think in that way, it's very accessible to an audience. Well,
4: as as many strange things that happen and as many strange concepts that that are presented, it's still an examination of the human condition. And the human condition does not change. So right. that makes it very it makes it makes very easy to understand what these people are talking about, what they're going through, and who and what they all represent.
1: Thank you very much. Now, uh, is there anything else that Shakespeare 70 has coming up that you'd like to mention before we wrap up?
0: Uh, well, sure. Uh, we always want people to check our website to find out what we're doing next. And what is that website? That would be www.shakespeare70.org.
4: And that's shakespeare
0: 70.org. Um But our winter show uh, will be uh, uh, George Bernard Shaw's Candida, which is a smaller cast, smaller show, great show. It'll be in our black box here at Kendall Hall rather than the main stage.
1: Thank you very much. I have been talking with producer Janet Corderone, director Brian Bearer, designer and tech director Dale Simon, puppet master Walter Cupid, and actor Damien Gaeta. Thornton Wilder's Skin of Our Teeth will be presented September 26th and 27th and October 2nd, 3rd, and 4th at 8 p.m. on the main stage in Kendall Hall on the campus of TCNJ. For tickets and information, go to www.shakespeare70.org.